morning. It's good to see y'all this morning. Um, like I said, my name is Eron Benjamin. Um, just a little cupcake, but I'm very grateful to be here. All right, um, this year is for, before we start real quick, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to go ahead and give you a message, all right, and try to knock it out, get in and out, and I'm just grateful to be here. All right, dear Lord, I, I'm so grateful to be here. Once again, you know I'm so unworthy to be, to be here to God. Um, I deserve, as you know, to be cast into the lake of fire for the many crimes I've committed against you in thought and in action throughout my entire life, even as a believer, God. I deserve your judgment and wrath, but by your love towards me, you've given me grace. And like the song said, you're willing to wash away every crime that I've ever done against you. I don't deserve any of it, God, but that's amazing love. And I thank you today that I'm able to lay here and just be a vessel that you may use, that we may hear the message. Because it's not about me. I'm just a vessel, but in the end, all of this is about your message because you received the glory, God. Because the truth is, if it wasn't for your mercy upon my soul, all I've ever earned from you was, was divine wrath and judgment and hell. That's all I've ever earned. But I've been given so much more, and I pray that you'll use my lips my words, not to point people at me, but to point people at Christ Jesus and to strengthen the body and encourage us, God, to do your work. And in Jesus' name, I pray you'll allow us to hear this, this message, because this message is something you talked about very deeply. And I pray you'll open our ears so we can really hear what Christ has to say. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right, but good morning. Good to see y'all. Um, but what I'm going to do real quick, and like I said, I'm not going to keep you long at all. I'm going to be in and out. All right, I want to share with you a message I've been blessed to share in different places. And it's, it's used by God to wake people up. This is a powerful message I recognize in the Bible that I didn't recognize for many years as a believer in Christ was even in there. And what I'm starting to learn as I begin to look around and study, God leads me to study, is this is a message that in the modern gospel many times it is not talked about. It's, it's in there. It's clear as the day in the New Testament. But you won't hear it in most churches. Why? Because it offends. Why? Because it awakens people. So what in our modern culture that wants to be more pleasing to man than it is to honor God, it misses it. It, it, it ignores this message. So my goal is to bring it about. And my goal is to bring it up because I love because I love God. But because I'm learning to love God, God teaches me I must love you all. And, and love means sometimes you give people stuff that's going to awaken them and even cut them. But you do it because you love because that's how God grows you. And so this is here and awakens. And when I've shared this message before, even with youth, they've been awakened. Like, what in the world is powerful? Because it's a powerful tool. And I love it because it wakes you up to the true Jesus of the Bible, not this candy coated Jesus we made him out to be. You know, sort of, okay, here we go. Let's go ahead and jump in this, okay? All right. First, I want to read you a letter by a guy. Um, pretend he's, he's giving you this message. His name is Merle Hertzler, okay? All right, um, all right, he wrote a letter. Pretend he wrote this letter to you, all right? And this, he wrote a letter to Christians, to the body. So listen to this, and I want to see your, what, think about what you think about this. He says this. He says, much of the Bible is false. God never visited this world as a man. We are on our own in this world without direct intervention from God. So it would seem to me. And then he asks this question. He says, how do you react to those statements? Does it make you feel sad to think that someone would write them? Perhaps you, perhaps to you, excuse me, y'all. Christ is the only hope in this world. Your life is centered on him. Centered on him, excuse me. Perhaps to you, Christ is the only hope. Your life is centered on him. He is your purpose in life. He is your Lord and your Redeemer. He says, I understand. I have been there. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior many years ago. I have read the Bible from cover to cover six times. 
every chapter, every verse, and every line. I have been there and done that. I know the excitement of doing God's work all day Sunday, and I also know the emptiness that would come on Monday. And then he says this powerful statement. He says, I am no longer a Christian. I am no longer marching in the Christian army, for I have found something different. Oh, no. Okay. Life without Christianity can be far more fulfilling than anything that I have ever found inside of Christianity. And there are hundreds of others who testify to the same thing. I am not a Christian, and I am happy. Perhaps you have indeed found genuine happiness in Christianity. I am glad for you. I hope you understand that others have found happiness elsewhere. Else, elsewhere. You may not need what I have to be happy, and I, and I may not need what you have. And this is a person who, who says, I, I, I sat right there, sat anywhere else in church, just met anybody else, and said, I just want to let you know that right now, I'm not walking with the great army of Christ. I did everything you've done. This stuff is good. I, I praise the Lord. I sing songs like this. I'm about the Crimson Tide. Oh, Jesus, you're great. But now I'm going to let you know, I ain't walking with the body. Wish you the best. Hope you be happy in what you do. That's good. I ain't tripping on you. But I ain't in it no more. Man, that's deep. That's deep when you hear it. You're like, what in the world? So then it brings up a question. You got to ask yourself, when you're sitting here and something like this, Hold up. You got to ask yourself, do you believe that once saved, always saved? Or do you hear something like this? And you say, you know what? No, nah, man. I think a cat, I think a person, excuse me, y'all. Have a little get on this. Let me see. I got to be patient with okay? Okay, don't throw me in the trash. Okay, okay. All right, I ain't all proper. So, all right. Do you believe that a person can lose their salvation. As from hearing this, you'll be like, man, it sounds very clear like a person can lose their salvation. But now I'm going to tell you, because I ain't trying to throw your brain, according to the gospel, according to the Bible, once saved, you always in. The problem is, there's another issue. See, Jesus wasn't shocked by this. The problem is, there's another issue. You'll be like, hold up, Jesus. You said once saved, always saved. The man said, the problem is, Jesus said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen to my words. You're going to realize there's another issue, because I know man. So now let's look at that issue, the issue that we don't want to proclaim when we're in front of multitudes of Christians. Jesus said, let me show you. I'm taking you to the issue. So right now I'm going to go through Matthew. We don't, we're gonna have, it's going to be Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Okay? And oh, Jesus goes on one of his great parables, which I love, because it rattles everyone. So let's listen to the parable. Let's see real quick. We can break it down. And see, what in the world was Jesus talking about in this parable? Because I used to read parables, and I'm like, oh, that sounds great. I ain't had a clue what Jesus was talking about. I just go about my business. I was like, amen. I ain't had a clue what he was talking about. But, but now I'm starting to read it. I was like, oh. So here you go. All right. The parable, it says this. All right. Then the kingdom of heaven will, it says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took, their, took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. 
So go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. Go rather to those and sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. So once again, what is Christ talking about here? We'll, we'll go ahead and try to aim at it. One, the question here is, who is the bridegroom? Who's the bridegroom? We all begin to know the bridegroom in that story represents the Christ, the one that everyone is waiting for, the one who will show up the one day and he will take his bride and he will be with us. Those who are his true brides. The bridegroom in the story is Christ. The wedding feast in the story represents the great wedding feast one day of the saints as we will be with Christ. That is the wedding feast. He says, well, I'm coming up, girls. Come with me into the wedding feast. The wedding party, great party, represents that great party hopefully one day we'll have in heaven. But the great part of the story is this. Who does the ten virgins represent? Now think about the ten virgins. They were sitting out there. They were laying in the field, and they were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And notice, just like we do, as we wait for a while, as for a while as you wait, they got very, very tired, and they begin to fall asleep. Now it says, it says that they had, they had lamps. Five of them had oil in it, and five of them didn't. Question is first, who does the ten virgins represent? I want to tell you this. If Christ the bridegroom that, um, that they're waiting for, the ten virgins does not represent Muslims. Muslims don't wait for Christ. They're not waiting for Jesus Christ as their Savior. The, the, the ten virgins do not represent ten Buddhists. They do not represent the atheist world that says, we don't believe in the Savior? No way. It ain't going to be no bridegroom. Nobody's showing up. Doesn't represent. So who does the ten virgins represent, Jesus? Oh, Jesus, I'm learning this. The ten virgins represent this, the professing church. This world here and out there, as you go to them, I talk to people on the street, hey, my man, what do you think will happen when you die? Oh, man, drinking, smoking, do whatever you want to do. Oh, man, man, I'm going to heaven when you die. Why are you going to heaven, brother? Why are you going to heaven? Oh, man, Jesus died for my sins. The ten, the ten virgins represents the professing church. All this great body that we so-called have that praises God and says, you're my Lord and King. God says, I'm telling you, this parable was given to you to warn you. Those ten virgins were waiting on the bridegroom. They were waiting on Christ. They were waiting to enter heaven and say, you're my King. You're my Lord and Savior. And we can't wait. But then the story gets tricky and says this, and here's the main thing, is that, is that they had the lamps, but five had the oil, and five did not have oil. So the great question is, what does the oil represent? The oil represents the one thing Jesus kept warning in the New Testament that you need to enter the kingdom of heaven, the Holy Spirit of God. He said, it's not those who profess Lord, it's those who does the will of my Father in heaven. Who does the will of his Father in heaven? Those who the Holy Spirit has come into. He changes their heart. He gives them new desires. So he said, he said, those who have that oil will enter in. 
So multitudes can say, you're my Lord. But God says, as you sit here, that he says, I know who has the oil, who's born of the spirit, and I also know who those who don't. And the dangerous part is, so as, as he came and he took those five who had the oil, they turned the lamps on, and they had the oil, he took them in. The ladies went into the party. Others went out. They tried to find oil. They couldn't find none. And then they began to knock on the door. Let us in. Let us in. And the bridegroom comes to the door. And he says, I tell you, he said, Lord, Lord, let us in. And he says, once again, like he says in many different parts of the Bible, he said, depart from me. I never knew you. And that's a reminder of the day of judgment where God will cry out when multitudes of professing Christians cry out, God, Lord, Lord, Lord. He said it before in the Bible. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. At that moment, God promised to cast them into the lake of fire. And that is crucial because God gave that parable, I believe, more specific to the professing church. Now, the professing church here, also, you, you can go in um, if you want to, Jehovah Witnesses, because they believe they're professing so-called Christians. But he warned the church that unless you're born again of my Holy Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I've been told before that I shouldn't even give this message. I've been told before not to warn Christians to examine themselves. That is foolishness. The Bible made it very clear on the day of judgment. It will not be most who's a crowd, Lord. He says, I will separate. I will separate you. And here's one more thing. And I give this to the adults, but also to the youth. I tell people, I say, you notice in the story when, when the ladies turned the lights, they lifted the other, others, the other ladies said, please share some of yours. Share us. And they said, no, no, we can't share unless we don't have enough. Is he teaching that the ladies were being selfish? Absolutely not. One thing Jesus is teaching is this. He's teaching us this. On the day of judgment, there will be no sharing of oil. Either you were born again of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter. You could be in a Christian family where Christian people who actually are born again. There is fruit in their life. And if you say you love the Lord, but you know there's no fruit in your life, it will be no, it will be no, you will make it because of them. God said, on the day of judgment, that is it. Children will be separated from parents. Either you were born again of the Holy Spirit, either you came to a place of repentance yourself and turned from your sins and put your trust in Christ. On the day of judgment, it is over. God warns us all. He warns me, but he teaches me to teach this to my children. They have to be warned. They have to see this for themselves. Because on the day of judgment, I can't save them. My life couldn't say all I could do is point them at the way. I can say all day, oh, yeah, 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 I think you're saved. I pray that they become saved by the Spirit of God and not by my word because I have no power. There will be no sharing on that day. He warned. You, we may be a family now. I tell people at our school I work at, I say, kids, we're family now. We're Spartanburg Christian family. I love you. I said, on the day of judgment, I pray that we are. Because if you're not, there's nothing I can do. God will separate the sheep from the goat. And he will cast to the lake of fire. And that's his word, not mine. And this parable is very crucial. And what I'm going to do, I'm about to finish up. Like I said, I'm not going to be here long. And I'm going to give you one more parable, okay? One more relating, all right? And it's, it's this one. This one's Matthew 13, um, 47, 50. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which it was full, they drew to shore. And they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but through the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be welling and gnashing of teeth. One more time, Jesus Christ said basically, 
We begin, he's going to one day throw out the net. All right. The gospel, you throw out the net and the net will be pulled in. What does the net represent? The more I learn is too. You, and I could be wrong. So make sure you study and ask, okay? Don't follow my word. I told you, I'm just a little cupcake, but I'm learning myself, okay? The net, I believe the more I study, represents this, the gospel net. The gospel net is this. Preacher stands in front of the pulpit. Come to Jesus Christ. God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Come to Jesus. Everybody, as you respond, at that moment, you're in the gospel net. He says, well, one day I'm going to pull that net. I'm bringing it in. I'm going to pull that net forward because the world ain't in the net. They're not in the God. They're not caught up in that message. Who's caught up in that message? The professing church. That's the message that is cast out. He's going to pull that net in one day to the day of judgment. And on the day of judgment, God says, then I'm going to do what? Separate the good from the bad. What do you mean the good from the bad? I mean, we all. No, no, God said the good are those who are in Christ, born of the spirit. So in God's eyes, they are good. You're good. Though the truth is, you're just as sinful as anybody else. You need this. the spirit is changing you, and in God's eyes, because of Christ, you are seen as good. The bad are those who are out, who who profess faith in Christ, but they don't have the spirit. The blood isn't upon them. God sees them as the wickedness that they are. He's I'm gonna separate that. He's I'm I'm allowing you. He said this in other parables. I'm allowing you all to be in the same net right now together. And he tells us in other parables, be careful that we don't that we don't go and say you're not a Christian, you are a Christian. No, we can't do that. We, we must warn because, because the truth is sometimes a true believer look pretty rough. So God said, don't worry. He said, but on the day of judgment, I'm going to bring all this net together that says it's mine. And then I'm going to have my workers, who? The angels, separated. The good and the, the bad, once again, will be cast out. So he's teaching us again about true and false conversion. He says, I warn you, the body, that there's a such thing called false conversion where you could literally be not saved. That's why Paul warned you, you must examine yourself. He didn't say go back to when you were nine years old and see, remember the time when you said a prayer to receive Christ. Examine yourself. Do you desire God? Do you fall sometimes away and do you sometimes just find yourself weeping before God because you recognize how sinful you are? That means the spirit is in you. Or do you hear this stuff and it doesn't move you? You only go because you're taught to go by somebody. Because you feel, you say, well, I just need to go to church. With my, you know, my parents have been to church, and that's the right thing to do. That doesn't mean the spirit is in you, man. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm finished here. The reason why this is so passionate in my heart, around nine years old, I said a prayer to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. But I also said that prayer between nine and 14, probably five different times. And I'm going to tell you, I went to church. I was in place. I did everything right. But I'm telling you, I had no desire for God whatsoever. When I went home, I never knew until I finally became born again later. I never knew that there was even Christian music outside. The only Christian music I heard, I heard one song by Kurt Franken called Stomp. Other than that, I had no clue it was Christian music. Why? I didn't care. When I went home, I felt my eyes with everything this world had to desire. I looked at every lustful Feel movie that I could film myself. I was addicted to pornography. I listened to every rap thing. I mean, I heard every dog. I loved it. That's what I loved. I didn't love this stuff. But I went because this is the right thing to do. But if you would have saw me, you would have said, that cat going to heaven. Why? Because I didn't look like my buddy. But God knew my heart wasn't for him. I was never changed by the Spirit of God. I never knew God personally. I never heard his voice. I never felt a new heart change. I was the same me that went down to say my prayer. And here's the reason why. Is this. I never saw, the Bible says you must do two things to be saved. Is this, you must repent. Repent means you must confess your sins to God 
but you must also desire to turn away from your sins. And two, the Bible says you must thrust yourself upon Jesus because you understand if God would judge you by his commandments, you are guilty, deserving of hell, and you know that Jesus was punished in your place. I accepted Christ when they said, come, come to Jesus because, you know, you want to have assurance to go to heaven. I said, shoot, I don't, shoot, I want everyone to go to heaven. So, yes, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Here's the thing. I never even deeply knew what sin was. I never, had, I never understood the commandments of God. The ten, God said the Ten Commandments bring the knowledge of sin. I never looked at those commandments and understood this. The Bible says every lustful thought is adultery in God's eyes. Every lustful thought. I never saw that. So when I was young, I just said, well, shoot, I want assurance to go to heaven. I never saw my life was wicked. I stole and did all things. I never saw them as bad in God's eyes. I was just saying, I just want to go to heaven. So that's what happened. I accepted Christ, but I never repented. There wasn't a brokenness towards God saying, oh, God, be merciful to me. Please show me mercy. I know I deserve to go to hell. I'm so guilty. I never thought that. If you would have came up to me at 10 years old and said, man, you're evil. I said, how dare you call me evil, man? Get out my face. That's what I said to you. I'm not evil. I'm a good person. I try my best. But, but thank God I'm going to heaven. But all of a sudden, at around 17 years old, God began to do his work. God said, enough. God began to pull me, and when God pulls you, it ain't always this, oh, come, son. When God pulled me, it was this. He began to first show me all my sins. I didn't realize God was pulling me. All of a sudden, I knew for one year, it felt like I felt guilty as mess. I felt horrible. I felt like I had, I, felt, I understood I was wicked. I saw my sins. I began to feel my, my conscience get me day and nightly was plaguing me. Like it was just constantly plaguing me. God was showing me how wicked I was, wicked I was. And I began to understand I deserve hell. If you were to me at those moments and said, boy, you deserve to go to hell, I would have said, absolutely right. I am so wicked. I am so vile. And God allowed it to go on for a year before God finally, when I was finally so broken, I said, oh, God, I almost want to commit suicide. I felt so guilty. God was convicting me of every crime I had begun to do against him. And in his right timing, he said, oh, son. But my son was punishing your place for every crime. And all of a sudden, I felt heavy burden. I felt heavy laden, like the Bible says, and Christ came and took it off. At 9, 10, 11, I didn't understand because I had no clue how sinful I was. I never was taught the commandments really like that. A lot of people had to do my fault. I never understood God's laws. I never understood how much I broke them. So therefore, I never saw the beauty of the Christ, the cross. That's the reason why I professed faith in Christ, and I went home and trampled the cross like it was nothing, because deep in my heart, it wasn't worth anything. No, as long as it got me in heaven, I'm cool. That's cool. Going to heaven, mine's my own business. But after that, when I found was broken, all of a sudden, I had a new desire for God. I, came to, I was a senior in high school. I went back in the Word. Before, I used to think the Bible was the boringest book ever. Before, I used to think, I used to sit in Sunday school. I'd be like, man, these Christians are cool, but them cats corny. I used to think that. I was like, corny, always talking about you. Now, all of a sudden, I would sit there as a senior, and I'm like, this is awesome. This is great, man. Oh, man, I started seeing it. All of a sudden, I'd be in the parking lot reading the Bible. i walk around school smiling. I was like, what's up, man? People are like, what's happening to you? God, and I didn't really understand. And I remember reading one time, and God said, son, what's happening is now you've become born again of the Holy Spirit. He said, I placed my spirit in you now. Why? Because you finally repented. You finally was broken over your sins, and you cried out for mercy, and you understood how much you deserved my wrath. Not that I was mean. It's that fact that you had broken my laws, and you deserved my wrath. He said, you understood that, and you were broken, and then I placed my spirit in you. He said, all those other years, the reason why you didn't have no desire, because my spirit wasn't in you. You were still, you were still under my wrath, and you thought you was on your way to heaven. Unless you're born again of the Holy Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. When that spirit comes in, does that make a person perfect? No. But there will be change. After that spirit came in, I had new desires. 
I would look at a woman with lust in the mall, I'm like, man. And all of a sudden I go home, I would feel like I killed somebody. What happened? Conviction was over me. Because now the spirit of God, because I wasn't my own no more, there was change. And there's continued to be change. From that moment at 17, I'm 31 years old now. No, about to be 31, sorry. Uh, yeah, I forget. I'm off stage. I can't remember my age. All right. So, 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 I mean, it's been changed. But that's the difference, guys. This thing is all around, man. This thing is all around. And many Christians have no clue. They're just going by. And the reason, all right. And I just want to share that with you because there are some of you right now who are born again of the Spirit. But you don't know it. And God is trying to, but you may not know about this. And God is trying to pluck you to say, listen, you need to be careful even how you deal with your kids. It is so easy because you want your kids to be saved. They say, yeah, yeah. He said a prayer at nine. Listen. God said, listen, that's good if, if he said a prayer, not down in the prayer. He said, but son, listen, daughter, just be careful. Watch them. See if you see fruit. If you don't see no fruit, he says, be careful. Don't begin to tell your child that they're saved. You let the spirit of God tell them. He's the only spirit of God can tell them, not a pastor, not anybody else. If the spirit don't tell them within, they might not be saved. Don't give them false assurance. Because if you give them false assurance, they won't hear anything else deep about the gospel. They'll just think, well, I'm going to heaven. So there's a sit there, lukewarmness mess. And what did God say about lukewarmness? He said, I spewed up my mouth. That's not part of mine. I spewed up my mouth. There are many people who think they're going to heaven. They have no clue. And then they think because they've already heard grace. They think, well, yeah, I've been saved by grace. I'm straight. But they have no desire for God. They have no desire, man. I gave this before at our school, our Christian school, and I had kids break down. I had, and they, someone would come to me at the, after I did it, sir, um, said this in chapel, and they came to me later and said, man, I need to hear that. And one guy said, he said, man, I don't know him. I'm saying, he said, I promise you, I've been taught this religious stuff. He said, but I need, he said, that's your lifestyle like me. I have no desire for this once I leave here. Spirit may not have been in them to give them desire. And all I can do is say, man, now you need to, you need to look, I take them through the commandments. And I said, you need to repent to God. And you need to do that. You need to go and say, and, and a lot of times, and I'll finish here, and that's one reason why I'm very, because of false, because I understand true and false virtue, I'm very serious about having a person to say a prayer after me. You know how we do that a lot of times? And I told my wife this, and I said, listen, this is the reason why I don't have people to say a prayer after me. It's because of this. If I cheated on my wife, which I love my wife very much, if I cheated on my wife, would I have to go to a pastor and say, I need you to write me a letter um, so you can tell me how sorry I am to my wife, so I can tell her? No. My wife don't want his words. If I cheat on my wife, my wife wants my words. Even if all my words is, man, I'm sorry for what I did to you, man. I'm sorry I was such a fool. God, that, that's what God wants. We got to be careful when we go up to somebody. So I'm going to receive Christ. Repeat a prayer after me. I said, listen, do you understand the message of the gospel? Yeah. Then you tell God. You tell God about your sins. You cry out to him. And you keep crying out to him until he saves you. And you have to repeat a prayer after me. If you know the message, you pray to him. I'm just a vessel. If you're sorry, you tell him you're sorry. And, that, and that's the reason I'm careful because you, because I used to lead people in, in, in prayer like that. You got to be careful. You can lead people in a false assurance. You let God save them. You let him do the work. Now, I'm, I'm, I don't mind praying for them. I'm not going to. Just, I just had to share that info, okay? All right. Now, this is the last part here. So I basically just had to share that. And I want you to really honestly and truly examine yourself. But I want to read this. I want to read this, and I'm going to finish here. I just want to read this, and this should just encourage those in this room who say, I am a believer. When they ask yourself this, how are you doing when it comes to God's great commission to seek and save that is lost? One of the evidence that you will know that you're born again of the Spirit is this. It's not the fact that you say, Lord, it's the fact that you desire to do God's will. 
Does have God give you a new heart and now wants to do his will? It doesn't mean you won't be afraid. It doesn't mean you go to excuses. But the Bible says, constantly uses, in the Bible, Jesus constantly says, the people who are his will desire to do his will now. They will not hear the word and not do it. That's why the Bible says, be careful that you don't become hearers of the word and not doers, unless you deceive yourself. You want to deceive yourself, think you're saved? Keep hearing God says this. Keep hearing God say this. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And all you do is never do not one thing to try to reach people, reach the lost. And live a nice little cozy American dream and ignore, and, and ignore it. You're, you're hearers of the word and not doers. I'm going to read this. And this right here is a letter from, and this just encourage true believers, a letter from a guy who's an atheist. Pretend he wrote this to you if you're a Christian. And I, this is what he got to say. He wrote this guy named Ray. Pretend he wrote this to you. He says, you are really convinced that you've got all the answers. The atheist wrote this. You've really got yourself tricked into believing that you're 100% right. Well, let me tell you just one thing. Do you consider yourself to be compassionate of others, human, humans? If you're right as you say you are and you believe that, then how can you sleep at night? When you speak with me, pretend you're speaking today, he says, when you speak with me, you are speaking with someone who you believe is walking directly into eternal damnation into an endless onslaught of horrendous pain which your loving God created. Yet you stand by and do nothing. If you believe one bit that thousands of everyday, thousands of everyday people were falling into an eternal and unchangeable fate, you will be running the streets mad with rage at their blindness. That's equivalent to standing on a street corner and watching every person that passes you Walk blindly directly into the path of a bus and die. Yet you stand by idly, idly by and do nothing. You're just twiddling your thought, thumbs, happy in the knowledge that one day that walk signal will shine your way and cross the road. Think about it. Imagine the horrors hell must have in store if the Bible is true. You're just going to allow it to happen and not care about saving anyone but yourself. If you're right, then you're an uncaring, unemotional, and purely selfish that has no right to talk about subjects such as love and caring. And the atheist wrote that. He said, if you think, you, you think your Bible is true, and yet you do nothing, he says, man, that's unloving, man. But I want to say this. As we finish here. This is the reason why the Bible makes it very clear our person needs Christ. It's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. On the day of judgment, when we stand before God's law, if you've ever lied in your life, that makes you a liar. If you've ever stolen every entire life, even very small, that makes you a thief. Jesus said, whosoever has a hateful thought towards another person has committed murder in God's eyes. If you've ever hated anyone, God counts you as a murderer. If you, Jesus said, whosoever looks with a lustful thought has committed adultery. And God's eyes, every lustful thought you've ever had outside of marriage is, is, is counted as adultery in God's eyes. To someone you wasn't married to. So if you ever brought those four, you're a liar, a thief, a murder, and adulterer. That means you'll be guilty on the day of judgment. And the Bible says all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. No thief shall ever inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
But the beautiful news is God has been rich, is rich in mercy. And God offers the entire human race his forgiveness. But because he's a good judge, as all good judges do, he must punish our crimes. He can't look past the crime because we say we're sorry. He must punish it. But in his love for us, what he did on that cross is he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He poured out his hatred and wrath for sin when he broke his laws, and he poured out on Christ in order to save us. And he said if we would repent, that means confess our sins to him, but it doesn't just mean confess our sins. The evidence that you're sorry for something is that then your heart would desire to turn away from that living. But he said, if we confess our sins to him and put our trust in Jesus, the Christ who was punished on that cross, who God poured his wrath out for us, he said he'll save us. And I want to say that for one, for anyone in here who may not be born again of the spirit, but yet you think you are. How do you know? Examine yourself. How do you know? Do you desire God? Do you desire to walk in his ways? Do you find yourself sometimes convicted over his word? Or do you seem cold toward the things of God? When's the last time you weep before him because you were so grateful for the sacrifice, for the, for the forgiveness he's offered to your soul? Or is it you've never felt that forgiveness? Could it be you've never truly repented of your sins and saw how you really look in God's eyes as an unclean thing, but yet God is rich in mercy towards you? And if you're a true believer in this room, the reason why I gave that gospel presentation reminded you of this, of what you really deserve. If it wasn't for God's mercy upon your life and his blood, the day of judgment, God would cast your soul into the lake of fire. That's not talked about in many churches. You know what's happening? That's the reason why we have such a lack for Christ, such a lack of love. We're missing gratitude. Gratitude comes when a person understands, you saved me from much. So I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. Yes, I may be afraid. Yes, I may lose my job. But God, help me now to be a fisher of men. Help me to follow you, Jesus. It's come from a person who understands that, God, if you didn't show me love, my unclean soul should be cast into hell, not just in a Christless eternity. Hell, the lake of fire. And when a Christian understands that, when a Christian falls on their knees in gratitude for Christ, that Christian will follow Christ. That Christian will say, you know what? And about me, how professional I am. And about how much an American dream I can live. I want to follow Jesus Christ. If you ask me to go out and you ask me to hand out a gospel track, though I may look silly, I'll do it because, God, you saved my soul, but I know what other people are getting ready to face on the day of judgment. And you'll do it because one thing, not to earn salvation, because you love the Lord, because you know what you really deserve. That's why I share that gospel even with Christians. We're missing that. God loved us. But the reason why we need his love was because we were once under his fierce wrath. He didn't smile at us, but he did love us, and he offers his forgiveness from his wrath. And if you miss that, that's one reason why we have lack of gratitude. And that's one reason why in American culture, they say 2% share their faith. We've lost the gospel. We think the gospel is come to Jesus, he's going to give you a wonderful life. Come to Jesus, now he's going to make all your American little dreams happy, and we become selfish. The gospel is come to Jesus Christ to receive the righteousness of Christ because you don't have the righteousness. You are guilty. Now, once you're in Christ, follow him, even if it costs you your life. Why? Because he's given you life. Because though you may hurt on this earth, though you may lose a child, though you may lose a job, when you die on the day of judgment, you will be innocent, though you're guilty. Why? Because of his blood. So that's the reason why you should follow him. It's got nothing to do whether or not you get riches on this earth or whether or not your life gets better. 
And so I have everything to do with the fact he saved you from the wrath of God. And that should move your heart and make you want to praise him even if you look silly to a world. And make you want to witness to people, even if other Christians mock you because they think you've gone too deep. But the gospel, man, I love it. And I just want to constantly remind us because that's what we're here to do. Iron sharpens iron. So I thank y'all. And go ahead and praise the Lord. You guys stand and worship with us one more time.